Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-hosts, Ms. Purrington and Mookie. Those are my cats. Uh, ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, our advice column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy, our upcoming festivals page listing, which has festivals from across the country and the world, and our 2023 FPIA contest page is live posting results as they happen. We're best known for our events page for live comedy shows in Austin, Houston, and DFW, where 100% of the entries you see come from comics and producers. If you want your show featured on the calendar, click the Submit a Show button from the top of the homepage or the events page to complete the short survey. It's free and easy. Tag us on your Instagram stories and we'll share your show promo to our Instagram followers. Want to support these resources that we provide? You can donate to Comedy Wham on PayPal, Venmo, or even Patreon. Click the Support CW icon on our homepage to see the ways that you can help us. Now back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the comedy scene as fascinating offstage as it is on stage. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today, we are talking to somebody who started comedy in Detroit, thanks to his mom. Uh, they moved to LA to pursue comedy and acting. And they've been on Jimmy Kimmel Live and Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And this month, August, makes uh, their LMAOF Los Angeles episode debut. And LMAOF features up-and-coming comedians uh, who, are, who get featured with their own OnlyFans comedy special. And now Comedy Wham presents our guest, Mateen Stewart. Hey, how are you? How are you? Good. I was about to say, that's you. That's me, yeah. Um, that's me. I um one thing I did correct in the intro. I started comedy in LA, but my mom was the catalyst to jump starting. Uh, ah, okay, all right. So the reason that I uh, mentioned that is because uh, in in doing my research, I found that she bought you a comedy class to take. Is that yeah? Yeah, it was for my um for my birthday. And I, I, I didn't know that there were comedy classes available. And she was like, you should see if there's a class. Because I just wanted to do like three minutes of comedy. That was like my thing. Open mic, three minutes of comedy. And then she's like, you should see if there was a class. And there was a class. And uh, yeah, she, she bought it for my birthday. Ah, okay. Well, uh, yeah. I want to put a pin in that because that opens up a whole world of questions. Uh, since mm -hmm. you... LA when that happened. Uh, mm -hmm. Start with my official icebreaker question, Mateen, which is mm -hmm. one word to describe your past. Whoa, one word to describe my past. Wow, that is that is a way that is that's a weighted question. Um, one word to describe my past. Um, adventurous. Wait, what was the word? Adventurous. Oh, adventure. Okay, okay. I almost heard of interest, and I'm like, of course. No. Adventurous. Adventurous. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, I, uh, when I, when I researched that you were from Detroit, my, um, my little radar uh, ears went up because I'm going to take you back to some history of Austin comedy, which you may have no knowledge of, but mm-hmm. great comics uh, that hit really big in the mid 2010s was from Detroit. And her name was LaShonda Lester. Don't know if you ever mm. heard that name. No. Sadly, she passed away soon after uh, winning this local comedy contest. And everybody was so wow. excited that she had finally gotten her due. And she was about to release a Comedy Central special before she passed away. And the reason that I'm telling you this is one of the things that w- everybody really loved about her is the way she would describe Detroit. Mm. And, you know, everybody, I think, has this preconceived notion uh, of what Detroit <laughs> And I, as, a, as a fan, I appreciated how she put Detroit into this, you know, real light that was different from what we heard in the news or whatever. So when I saw that you were from Detroit, this is one thing that I want to hear from you is, you know, what is Detroit like from somebody who is actually from Detroit? Uh, I, I feel like being from Detroit, you have like this, this undeniable love for the city. And I think a lot of that comes from so many people who hate on the city and uh, don't really know about the city, don't know the history of the city, the, the rich history of the city. Um, my my parents, my dad was born in New York, my mom was born in Detroit. She spent a lot of her adolescence in Alabama, though, but um, she always wanted to, you know, return home and live in Detroit. And even when they, you know, they got their money, like their first big promotion when it was time for them to buy a house, where a lot of families were moving out of Detroit to the suburbs as like a status thing. Uh, my mom was like, no, I'm going to raise my family in Detroit mm-hmm. and buy my house in Detroit. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I love the city. I grew up on the west side of Detroit in a pretty like middle middle class uh, neighborhood. Um, and a lot of times, you know, when you think of Detroit, people think like like it's Beirut. And there are some areas like that. But there's some areas like that, almost any major city that you go to. But, you know, there's there's neighborhoods in Detroit. There's good public schools in Detroit. I'm a product of the Detroit public school system. Um, And, you know, I I, I wouldn't, I don't, I moved because I I feel like I need to be out in Los Angeles. Um, But if I wasn't in the entertainment business, I would, I think I would still be there. but yeah, I, I I do like going back home, and it, it always feels like home. And Detroit would always be my home. I don't think I'll ever move back because I have gotten spoiled with the riches of uh, sunshine and, and warm weather in December and January. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> it, it hits different. That winter hits different when you when you've been away. Uh, I've been in LA for almost eighteen years now, so I've I've been in LA almost as long as I was in Detroit. So. Um, but yeah, Detroit is always going to be my home. My fam- most of my family still there. My, my my dad is still there. My brother, and my sister is still there. Um, my, we lost my mom in twenty twenty. Mm. Um, but uh, so I haven't really been back as much as I, I used to. But I'll be back there uh, in September 
I'm, I'm actually headlining the Motor City Comedy Festival there on September 17th, which is a very special day for me because that's also the day that uh, we had my mom's memorial three years ago. So it's almost like a full circle moment wow, yeah. for me to go back and headline the Motor City Comedy Festival on that day specifically. So, but yeah, come to Detroit, visit. Really good people, great food. You know, I want to say, well, what up, though? That's the Detroit thing. What up, though? Uh, I don't know where it comes from, but whenever I see someone say, what up, though? I'm like, oh, you're from Detroit? Like, it's automatic. I always, I always assume. But, uh, awesome. yeah, good people, good food. I like any major city. There's there's places I wouldn't even go. So just use your money, you know? Uh, that was one thing uh, when I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, everyone's like, oh, yeah, Compton is a bad area or the South Central is a bad area. And I'm like, there's trees here. There's trees, <laughs> palm trees and grass. Like, yeah, I don't like. I don't. This looks like paradise to me. Like, one thing about Detroit, you when you're in the hood, you know, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So, but yeah. <laughs> well, that was that was a, a lovely, uh, that was a lovely sharing from your heart about uh, Detroit in your in your heart. Uh, so, growing mm-hmm. up, what uh, what role did comedy have in your life? Um, for me, growing up, comedy. I think, like like most people, I grew up in the '90s. Uh, so for for that era, comedy was a little bit different than it is now. It wasn't as accessible as it is now. So you know, my dad had records with Richard Pryor and Red Fox and stuff like that. But I just remember being excited about the comedy specials that were going to be on HBO. So like Chris Rock, Bigger and Black. I remember back in the day where where I was growing up, like those were events. Like Saturday night, Chris Rock, bigger and blacker, you know, it's gonna we gotta we gotta stay up and watch it. We gotta see what he's doing. Uh and then I was a big fan of uh the Cosby show. I didn't really realize Bill Cosby was a stand-up comedian. Uh I just, you know, I love love the show. Uh and also I'm trying to think of some other comedians that I like Def Jam was a thing. I watched Death Jam mostly because I wasn't supposed to watch it. Uh, I watched a lot of BET Comic View, so it's it's always weird to me when I work with comics that I used to watch on TV or BET Comic View, and I told them that, and they're like, don't say that, I'm, you make me feel old. I was like, well, I, I did used to watch it on BET Comic View, so. But yeah, it was it was around, and I never wanted to be a comedian. Like, I never looked at that and like, oh, I want to do that. I was always, I was always an actor. I was always an actor. Uh, there was a time in my life, probably like three or four years, where I was a tap dancer, and that was like the thing that I I was doing mostly focusing on. But once I got to high school, um, I was acting in high school, and then I I did it in college. And after college, I, I I acted after college and decided to make that move to Los Angeles. What kind of of acting were you doing? Were you doing stage, commercial, TV? I was doing mostly stage. I was a theater kid. I was one of those nerdy theater kids. Um, I my parents realized pretty early that it was something that I was interested in. When uh, I think we had a play, and I was mad that I didn't have enough lines, so I learned the whole play like verbatim. Wow! And yeah, I was like five years old. I couldn't even read, but just from being in rehearsals, I was just able to mimic everyone. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, yeah, so I always was in their entertainment, like doing plays. And then I like our school that I went to, we have a school play every year. 
So we we would do a school play every year. And then once we had this new dance teacher, she had a, a, a school, like a dance school. So she got us to like join her, her classes. And that's when I really started getting into tap dance. So I was like tapping from like eight to like 13, 14. Uh, and then when I went to high school, it was more, it was theater. They had a theater program there. I knew I wanted to do theater. And yeah, I just went to college. I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do in college. Uh, I went from being like, oh, a doctor. And then I realized I didn't like, I didn't like science as much as I thought I did. And then I auditioned for a play in college and, uh, they ended up waiving my fees, my, my out of state fees. So I got like a refund check. And I was pretty good when I got in the play and got that refund check. And then uh, after that, they offered me a scholarship, and then I became a theater major. So yeah. Now, did you want? To- it was also ironic too, because Bill Cosby. Uh, it was a Bill Cosby, like the Bill Cosby scholarship. <laughs> so yeah, Bill Cosby paid for me to go to, to college, uh, which is hilarious because yeah. I was so infatuated with the show and and everything. About them, and yeah, I, I talk about it mostly. Yeah, you know. Uh, did you want to be a serious actor? I just want to be an actor. I I used to do a lot of I used to do a lot of plays, uh, that were drama, dramatic plays. Um, I never really did a lot of comedy, because in in college we did like one comedy, and it was like a Greek Greek comedy called Lysistrata. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, which is I love that. Uh, yeah, if you don't know what Lestrade is, uh, listeners, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Greek comedy where the women uh, stop having sex with the men uh, until they stop the war. Uh, it's hilarious. It was, it was. I love that we took the challenge to do it because, like, we're his. I went to a historically black school, Florida University, and you know they, you know they wanted to do a Greek comedy, and we did it, and it was great. And we, all walked around with these like phallic things and like we went all out and it was it was a great time and it was some of the best times of my life and some of the funniest moments that I can remember being a part of uh, a play. But yeah, when I graduated, I, I mostly did a lot of a lot of dramas because there's not a lot of comedy plays. Um, so yeah, I did a lot of dramas. I did a lot of work with uh, the Detroit Plowshares Theater Company in Detroit. Uh, I went on tour. Uh, with Charlotte's Web, like I did a lot of children's theater as well after college, so I went on tour with Charlotte's Web, and I did like I had a one man show that I did at the Henry Ford Museum. It was called The Wizard of Tuskegee, which was uh, essentially I I played George Washington Carver, and I went through and I did like all these. It was like a twenty minute show that I went through and I talked about his life and made all these different items with peanuts and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I was I was just I would go whatever. Whatever, whoever would, I would audition. So whoever would hire me, yeah, I would do it. But most, mostly drama, mostly drama. So what was your? I mean, I I can predict the answer, but I actually I want to hear it from you. What was your motivation to go to L.A.? Well, I wanted, I wanted to get out of Detroit. Hmm. I had been there for two years after college, and I had some friends that were trying to move out of the city too. And initially I'm like, I'm gonna go to New York and be, you know, try to, you know, get into Broadway yeah. and go that route. And my friends were like, no man, let's go to Cali. 
because we were really big into like Tupac and in, in, in that West Side Life, and Tupac was like my guy. He's like our guy. He's like our guy. So like, I was like, okay, let's go to Cali. Well, two years after we save up money, and I was the only one that saved up the money to go to Cali. Um, and so I had met this woman at a play that I did called The Story, and she happened to be moving there as well. So she was like, I need a roommate. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm moving to California too, so we can be roommates. And so she left like a month before me. And then I called her like when I was leaving. And she goes, oh, I got some bad news. I go, what's the bad news? She goes, I found, she goes, I got some bad news and some good news. I was like, oh, what's the, what's the good news? She goes, oh, I found an apartment. And I go, yeah, that's great. I go, what's the bad news? She goes, well, it's just for me. I'm moving in with this other girl. And I was like, oh, mother sucker. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we end up living together anyway, like a year <laughs> later because the girl that she had lived with ended up moving out and she needed a roommate. So I ended up stepping in there. But uh, yeah, I w- yeah, I wanted to go to California and I'd never been to LA. And that's, I think that's where, like for me, what I'd said adventurous is when, co- when I, even when I picked my college, I never went to, I never visited my college. I just knew that I wanted to go there. So I just went. I was 17 years old. I just went to college by myself. I just went. And um, I had never been to LA. So I was like, I want to go to LA. I'm going to go. And so, yeah, my mom and I, we got my 1993 Pontiac Grand Am and we drove across the country with no air conditioning in the, at the end of August. Ooh. And yeah, we, we, we were there and yeah, August 29th, I got, I, we arrived and I haven't looked back since and I've been there ever since. So. Now, I imagine that if you're continuing on the same path of doing auditions and whatever, you know, you're in L.A. now. That is like audition central. Uh, mm-hmm. How did you um, how did you navigate, you know, getting started with your your acting career when you first got there? Well, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't navigate. I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. Like I, I had some money saved up. And what I tell people too, if you move to a city and you have money saved up, get a job because that money's not gonna last forever. Mm. Like that, like that money's not gonna last forever. So get a job quickly. And I had got a job at like because I was an education major as well. So I had got a job at like a school doing like their after school program. And that that money just covered my rent. Everything else I just had money on account. So that covered my rent. And then like there's no real due process to tell you like how to do things. And so I went like two years without doing any acting, no classes, no nothing. The first two years of me being in LA, I did nothing. And then I worked at a sleepaway camp for for a bit. And the owner of the camp, his daughter was into, in the entertainment business. And she had a friend that was competing against some other filmmakers on the show called On the Lot. It was like a it was like a Steven Spielberg like reality show where uh, directors were competing to get like a thousand a hundred thousand dollars for a project, and she needed an actor uh, for her short for the show. And I went to audition and they loved me. And then the audition that I did, there was an agent in there that was starting a boutique agency, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we like your look. Like you have headshots. My headshots didn't even look like me. She's like, we gotta get new headshots. So I got new headshots." And yeah, they signed me. And then they, I think my first audition, I went out with them. I booked a McDonald's commercial. And I got oh, Pat Harvey. The infamous. Yeah. So I, 
Yeah. So that was the thing where it's like, oh yeah, this is this is gonna be my life. I'm just gonna be doing commercials. This is gonna be my life. Uh and it wasn't. It hasn't been. <laughs> uh I I went fourteen years in between commercial bookings. Uh but yeah, I thought that that was going to be my life, and I was with the agency for for a bit, and then and then they ended up like dropping me because you know if I wasn't making the money, they they weren't trying to put in the effort. Uh, and then I was like, I need to do something to get motivated, so I started a theater company in 2010 called Forgotten Roots Theater Company, and I raised money on Kickstarter and got everything the ball rolling. And, we put the, we put together a show, uh, and that went really well. And I did another season and we did three seasons, but after a while, people, I wanted to be like a repertory thing where like people would help out. And, and LA was like, people were like, nah, man, I'm, I'm not doing this. Like, <laughs> it, it, no one's gonna, no one's gonna love your baby like you love your baby. Bye. So I was like, I can't do all this by myself. So I end up. I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was creatively depressed. And I had went to an audition and there was like 17 dudes that looked exactly like me for a commercial with no lines. And I kind of like, kind of meltdown. I just was like, what is, what are we doing? I just, I was in a lobby like, what are we doing? Like, why are we here? Like any, you guys can pick any of us. We all look alike. Like you can pick any of us for this commercial. Like just pick somebody. Just, if you, it's like winning the lottery. So we don't even have any lines. You just and it was literally to be on camera for a second, like one second. And that's that's the commercial life. You could be on the camera for one second and make hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially. Uh so I was like, I need to do something different. So I did a like a goals class, like a goals group. Everyone came up with their goal. Like we're gonna do this in the new year. And one of the goals on that list was to do Three minutes of stand-up comedy at a open mic, mm. and yeah, and so that's that would got the ball rolling for that because I was just like, oh, I'll do this. I, I guess I'm. I guess I'll be good at it. I, I never thought that I would be good at it, and yeah. And the thing about comedy, which I love, is the instant gratification of it. Whereas, like, if you're if you're just focusing on acting, like if you're not auditioning, if you're not in class, like you don't get you don't get that that. That you don't get satiated, like you don't get that feeling of being like fulfilled. But with comedy, is like something can happen right now, and I can go talk about it on stage later. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, comedy hasn't stopped me from doing anything. So, and actually now with like the whole the boom and all the things, like now you do a lot of commercials, and it's like, oh, we need comedians, we need comedic actors, we need comedy, a strong comedy background, strong improv background. So actually, it actually helped. And so in the last three years, I was, I've been able to book four national commercials, unlike the last previous 14 years, where it was just like 2007, I booked that McDonald's commercial and that was it. And I had some other like things that I did for TV that was like, Oh, it's pretty cool, but nothing sustainable. And that was all based on like this one person, Franny Baldwin, who shout out to Franny, who like put me in positions. To get these other gigs. So when people talk about like nepotism and it's who you know, that is a, that's a real thing. That is a real thing because, you know, people help the people that they know. And like, if this guy knows you from this or like, you know, this person and, or, or you're from 
Detroit and you know this, like you guys are in the same fraternity. Like that those are all connections that have I've booked gigs based on, you know, I you know, you still have to do your job, but like the introduction and getting the door to do, do these things. Yeah, sometimes, you know, it is all about connections and like, you know, relating relating to people and stuff like that. And that's I like that because that's what comedy is. Comedy is related to so you had a goal to do the three minute open mic and did you do mm -hmm. that or you was that like the the rush of cocaine that hit where it's like, oh, I really like this. No, no, because no, I didn't want to. I was scared to do the cocaine. Oh. So I was like, I need someone to teach me how to do this cocaine. Uh, so that's when I, that talk, I was talking to my mom mm -hmm. about it. And my mom was like, well, I never thought you were to be a funny person. So I don't know why you oh, want to do oh. this. And she goes, then she was like, you should see if they have a class. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, I was naive. I was like, there's no way there's a stand-up comedy class. Who's teaching people how to do stand-up comedy? That's ridiculous. And I Googled it. And, and I Googled it, and there were like a thousand. So, um, yeah, I picked I picked the one that was called LA Stand-Ups. Uh, and I, I picked it because we had our final performance at the Hollywood Improv. Mm. And I had not, I'd never been to the improv. I'd never been to any of the comedy clubs in Los Angeles. I'd never, I'd, and I had lived there at this point five years, six years. Never went to the comedy club. Oh, never wow. went to it. my first, my first, well, my first roommate that I lived with, um, eventually, she worked as a waitress at, a, at the comedy union, which is the like quote unquote black room in Los Angeles, RIP comedy union. And I went down there a couple times, but like I didn't. I was like, nah, I don't like. I don't want to be here. Like, why am I? Mm -hmm. Why am I here? Um, so yeah, so yeah. So I picked that class because they had the graduation with the Hollywood Hollywood Improv. Yeah. It was five weeks, three hundred dollars. Uh, I was the only one in the class. They didn't get the Groupon, um, which is hilarious because then he started using me for the Groupon. I think he still uses my picture for his Groupon, <laughs> and that was like 11, 12 years ago. I think he's still used to it. But yeah, and then I, you know, I, we we performed, and it was so because when you do a com, one thing I do say about a comedy class, it gives you the space to succeed because you're going to invite all your friends, and everyone else's friends are going to be there, and everyone feels like they have to be supportive. Mm -hmm. So we they we they sold out the room. It was like 250 people. I did six minutes. And I left the stage like like this is something I've never felt before. Like, this is a, this is the cocaine, you know what I mean? This is <laughs> this is opening up Pandora's box. I've been up close to the Matrix. And as soon as I left the stage, I was like, I'm ready for Letterman. Yeah, where's Letterman? Uh, and I wasn't because I look at that set now and I cringe. I literally throw up in my mouth looking at who I was uh, as a person and the jokes that I was telling. But you live and you learn and you grow, and that's what it's about. But yeah, I got, I got, I got hooked then, and then they, the guy kind of like pawned us off into like this whole bringer system that they have in Los Angeles. So I got pawned off into that because it's like you like creating these people who think they can do comedy, and then you, you, you pass them on to these these ravenish bookers who are looking for people to fill their spaces. So they say, hey. You're, you're, you know, you're funny. Here's your email. I do a show, a show at the comedy store. You want to do it? And I'm like, yeah, I want to fucking go do the show at the comedy store. But then you realize we were only getting booked because they think you can bring people. 
And, you know, sometimes, you know, you go to a little room at the comedy store and you do well. And so you bring people in and you move to the big room and, you know, you got to have that sell 10 tickets to get in the big room. And then, but you make money if you sell those 10 tickets, you get 50 bucks if you sell those 10 tickets. And if you get 50 bucks every 10 ticket you sell. So the first big room I did in the comedy store, I had sold like 30 tickets. I'm like, I got 30 tickets, made 150 bucks, performed in the main room of the comedy store on a Friday night, six minutes, hot spot right in the middle, killer. And then I'm like, it's going to be my life. It's just be at the comedy store. But you don't realize that has nothing to do with the comedy store. That's just a guy that, you know, rented the room or got the room to do these breaker shows. And you learn that pretty quickly where you like, you know, you don't bring people and, and you're like, oh, well, you only have two people tonight. You have to do uh, the last spot. You know, because it's very hierarchical. We're like, you know, you get the, the more people you have, you can pick your spot. So if you don't have people, you need to sit in the back. And then the comedy store regulars, they see that there's 300 people. So then it's like, oh, yeah, let me let me go in here. I'm going to drop in. And then you have these new comedians like, oh, I have to follow Bill Burr. You know, like, <laughs> I've been doing comedy for six weeks. I have to go follow Bill. What am I going to do? I'm going to kill myself. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you learn. And, and then, yeah, it's just like there's no due process. There's no one that, There's no way to tell you this is exactly how you do it. In the entertainment business, there's there's never really any due process because you can work as hard as you can and you can be the best that you can and no one can still care about you because like all the and one person can change your life like oh I like this thing and now it's a little different because you know one video can change yeah like one video one viral video can change your life and I had this moment last night where I had walked this older couple and it was I'm in Prescott uh, Arizona and it's not this very it's very old and white the couple, the, the the show last night. And it was one old black man and he didn't like me. And he walked, got up and walked out. And, and then part of me, my friend was important. He walked out so slow. Like, if you're going to walk out, at least walk out fast. Because he, he was like, because he, he thought I was being too dirty then he called me a fucking fuck. And I was like, that doesn't even make sense, sir. And he walked out very slowly. And, and in my mind, I told my friend, I go, did you record that? He goes, yeah. And I wish that guy would have came up and punched me. It was like the old black man punches comedian in Arizona, you know, put that out, boom, I'm on Letterman next week, yeah. you know. Um <laughs> but other before like before the internet, like there was no real like due process or anything to tell you how to how to how to do things. So you it's a lot of ebbs and flows, it's a lot of learning, uh it's a lot of striking out. So I, I did the whole open mic thing late nights, early mornings, but I was I was still uh I was teaching at the time and, you know, I'd be out at four o'clock in the morning. I would wake up and go to class. Uh, and you know, I decided this is what I wanted to do. So I was going to do it. And yeah, I learned a lot from those open mics and, and I'm, I'm still learning a lot with comedy. And two years in, uh, I did a, I met some guys, Gavin Gates and Mike Wright, and we formulated a plan to go on a tour. So we we raised a bunch of money on Kickstarter, uh, and we went on a tour called the Well Spoken Comedy Tour, and we did uh, 21 shows in 28 days. And yeah, I learned I learned I was two years in, and I learned so much in that that month being on the road. And it was a lot easier when we had like the stakes weren't as high because we had we had money because we had raised money. And I wish we would have filmed it 
because that would have been that would have been great. But they wanted too much money to film it. But I learned a lot from that that experience, and I think my comedy uh, had. Uh, had gone up exponentially since that 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 in that thirty days, I think that was like thirty days was like excelled me, which I wouldn't have got like just being in LA for thirty days. Right. And how yeah, far, you just you just live how, and learn. How far did your tour go? Like, did, was so it all we did we we did Detroit. So me and Mike was from Detroit. We went to Detroit. We did two shows in Detroit. We did Chicago. We did DC, Atlanta. And then we went to New York. Uh, and so, yeah, so, like, I went to Atlanta, D.C., places that I knew I had, people that would come see me. And then we did, like, a week in New York. We did a bunch of shows in New York. But the main hub, and then we went to the Bay Area. So the main hubs were, like, Detroit, Atlanta, D.C., and the Bay Area. That's where, like, we rented the venues. We were responsible for getting the people out. And then the other shows that we did, it would be, like, like where I am now, it's like, oh yeah, we're in a small town, they do comedy once a month, and we just happen to do the show. So we did that in Manchester, New Hampshire. We did that in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, we did that in New York City uh, at the Creek in the Cave. Uh, and that was, they gave us uh, like a 10 p.m. Thursday. And, you know, we ended up selling out. It was a thousand degrees in there uh, <laughs> in the summer in New York. Uh, but it was a, it was a good, it was a good run. Uh, and yeah, I, I still talk to those guys. Uh, Gavin, he doesn't really do comedy now. And uh, Mike, Mike is getting in there. Mike has a new album out mm. called Moxie. He's doing his like um, his thing, but he's he's been getting a lot of like uh, a lot of notoriety and a lot of attention because he's he's Lizzo's boyfriend now. So, oh no way! Yeah, Mike. Shout out to Mike and Gavin. Yeah. I know that. Check out Moxie too. I know that. Yeah, Mike Wright. Yeah. <laughs> wow, small world. All yeah, right. it's my guy. Is that one, two, three degrees of separation from Lizzo? Okay, I'll take mm -hmm. it. <laughs> yeah, she used to hang around. I mean, they did a TV show together years ago, and then she would hang out with my friend Pap. And yeah, before it's and that's the thing where like before, before. 2019, like no one knew who she was, and that's the thing where, like, her boom, like this, and everyone was like, She just came out of nowhere, like, she was making music for years, and they yeah. were using her music in commercial for years. And that album was actually like two years old before it got like it got it got the notoriety. So, so yeah, just keep plugging, man. That's what I tell people you never know when it's gonna happen, right? Right? She's a Texas girl playing the flute. I mean, that's that's about as uncool as you can get. She's she's made it cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, back to Mateen. So you you mentioned something earlier about how the last three, four years, like things have really started to click and move for you. Um, and I don't know how long into your uh, comedy career you 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 are, you know, when in that three to four years ago time period. Uh, what do you think uh, clicked to that thing? The momentum started picking up. Well, I mean, I just so my mom, my mom, my mom's death. I I think I, I'm I'm the I'm the best that I've been at comedy. I think in my mom's death actually helped with that. I don't know if that that makes sense. Where like the pain of it, because I'm like the stakes 
are honest because I like I'm trying to how can I explain this? Like the pain that I felt from losing my mom is like something I'll never I'll, I'll I've never felt before. Yeah. So to feel that, like, you feel like, oh, I could just do whatever. Like, I just lost this part of me. I could just do whatever, say whatever. And and I feel like she had a she has a role in it. And I have I had a daughter. And three months after we lost my mom, we found out we were pregnant. And so I think a lot of that 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 helps, like having a kid and like having a kid and like having to feel like you got to do more to get your kid to make sure your kid is okay. Um, and I've read that places like when people have kids or new life comes in, like they, their career starts to, to go. And I even make a joke about it. I was like, if, if I knew this, uh, if I knew a long time ago that having a kid would change my career, I wouldn't have killed that kid in 2007. Because um, <laughs> I would be a lot more famous right now. Um, <laughs> but no, it happens. It happens when it happens. Uh, and yeah, I really think it is just like the world being at your lowest, you have nowhere else to go but up. Yeah. And being a comedian and being able to take the pain of losing my mother and then, you know, internalizing that and then spitting it out as humor has definitely made me a better comedian because it's like, oh, how can I make the death of the most important person in my life? How can I make it funny? Mm -hmm. And it's hard to navigate that. So I think being able to made me, you know, made me sharpen some the muscles and the tools that I didn't have previously. And, and I think that all like snowballs into the rest of, you know, my comedy career and everything like that. And, and also the opportunities and the people that I'm around have you know people around me are starting to get more successful so it goes back to that whole thing that i was talking about with the nepotism and the connection like the, the more people you have that are successful the more you are successful hmm. yeah. but not because they're handing it, something it's you've earned it no you've earned it but like when you, when you hang around successful people you you would you essentially like through osmosis, want to be like, oh yeah, I can. It's it's like contagious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like just your mindset and 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 you know, not even that. You know, some people I've had opportunities because my friends are successful and they, and and they they trust me in the process and to recommend me for things. And that's where you that's where it is. Like it's a lot of being lucky and being ready when you get that luck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how how did you land, uh, or how did you get on the radar to land the the OnlyFans TV special? Oh, I um, I don't know how I got on to OnlyFans. Uh, they um, they reached out to me. Uh, just they reached out to me and was like, "Hey, um, you want to do this show?" And I'm like, "I've heard about it. What what do you guys got going on?" And so then. They told me the parameters. I met with them. I really dug what they were doing. Uh, I, I saw what they were doing with Burt Kreischer and with Whitney Cummings, and I believe that they can do some really good things. And I'm really was really excited to to work with them. Uh, and they were really professional. And I'm really excited to see the the final product. Yeah. Have you have you? Watched I think we have. I mean, I think we. I'm I'm biased, but I think we had the. We're gonna have the best episode. So on my episode, it's me, 
uh, my friend Brandy Barton. Not, not, I'm sorry, not Brandy Barton. Brandy Barton is a girl I had a crush on in <laughs> fifth grade. Brandy Denise, uh, Brandy Denise, and Martin Morrow. And it was really cool because we're really friends in real life. So we didn't have to do that, like, oh, yeah, what are you doing? Like, pretend to be friends. Yeah. So when we're in the green room and we're recording, we're, we're this is what we do on a regular basis. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the show. I'm excited to be doing some other things with OnlyFans uh, in the future. And, yeah, we'll see how everything goes. Yeah. Uh, I got the opportunity to talk to Brandy last week. And it was. Okay. She's, she's a card. She's a card. Yeah. I love her to death. Yeah. We, we went to the same college together. She always emphasizes that we can go at the same time because she's younger than me. But <laughs> so, what are some highlights uh, that you could share of uh, you know things that that are coming up for you? I mean, you're you're obviously touring. Yeah, I'm I'm obviously I'm on a roll quite a bit, um, but honestly, mostly um, I, I I do I go on the, I go on the road not as much since I have have had my kid, uh, but. I have, a, I have a podcast coming out pretty soon in October. I can't really talk to you about it, but it's a really, it's going to be a really big thing. Um, and I'm excited about it. Look for it. Uh, it's going to be an educational podcast. I'm a comedian. And uh, it's going to, uh, looking to be out in October. And like, that was one of the biggest things. Cause like that week it was like, Oh, I got the OnlyFans thing. And then they finalized uh, everything with this podcast. So, I was just like, man, this is a crazy week. And this is this is one of the things I tell people, uh, especially comedians and people in entertainment, because it's just a series of getting everything you want and wanting more. So, you know, if, if you told me 10 years ago that I'll be in this position with this book stand-up comedy, like, no way, that's so cool. But you always find yourself in, like, what other people are doing. Like, like just for last, this came out. I was like, ah, you know what I mean? So, and <laughs> the new face is part <laughs> yeah. But then I think about all the things that I've done and things I got going on right now, and I, I, I need to essentially, essentially appreciate the things that I have right now. And I talk about this a lot. And if you listen, if you listen to some stuff that I've done before, I'm sorry I keep repeating this to anybody that has heard anything I've done before. Listen to podcasts that I've been on before. But one of the things that my mom told me um, before she passed away, because I was upset about something that I didn't get. And she said, well, don't be upset because it seems like the doors that are slamming in your face are getting bigger. And that just like opened my eyes to another world of things because it was like, oh, wow, that is such introspect on on life and how to look at things because that, you know, that's really honest. That's true. And like, wow, that's right. Bigger doors. Yeah. And then she's like, yeah, remember, bigger doors are always easier to go through. So instead of focusing on, yeah, Comedy Central told me no, focus on, oh, I was in the room and Comedy Central told me no. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just, it just gave me some insights to some things that I had never really thought of before. And that's just the kind of person she was. And, and she was one of my biggest supporters. And kudos to my parents for always supporting the things that I, that I've done and the, the things that I wanted to do. And I feel like, it was easier because I, I always felt like I was good at these things. So it wasn't a thing where like, oh, yeah, you're not going <laughs> to yeah, we'll support you, but you're not going to make it. But uh, and that's the kind of support I want to give to my my children. And if I just give half of the support that my parents gave me, I'd be 
I'll be doing fine. But yeah, my dad even today, he's he's like, oh, I got I got cousins in Arizona, and you know, he he's he 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 is so involved in my life, like he wasn't in my life my whole life. I, I tell like my dad, he retweets everything, he he posts everything, he lays the first person to like my things. I'm like, dude, you would think that you just got into my life like five years ago, and you're trying to make up on time. You were there the whole time, Dad. Like, chill out. So sweet. That is so sweet. Well, I look forward to yeah. um, when your episode comes out, him resharing your. Oh yeah, he will. I was in I was in China, and he was like, "If I know somebody in China, my son in China, go first off." You can't just say China. You got to put a city. And who do you know in China? There's one point. There's 1.4 million people, there, and I guarantee you, you know no one. So stop doing that. <laughs> well, Matina, as we start wrapping up, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want people to know about you? Uh, oh, I am. Um, I'm the number one wedding officiant in, in Southern California right now, making my way to being the number one wedding officiant in California. So if you're getting married, if you want to come out, it's why well, you can afford me because the more credits I get, the more it's going to go up. I don't think I'll ever stop doing it because I love doing weddings. And and yeah, I have a company called Married by Mateen and it's it's very successful. And, and you know, it's made it easier not to worry about like going and traveling on the weekends and, and, and going to a comedy club and why travel when I could just do a wedding and make three times as much? So yeah, I MC DJ and I officiate. So sometimes now, most of the weddings I do now, I officiate the wedding and then I DJ afterwards. And I love it. It's fun. I still have fun and I'll do it as long as I'm still having fun. But yeah, I just, I just do a lot of things and, and yeah, follow me on all my Instagrams and, and check me out. Nice. Nice. Well, I do have a, a closing question for you. Mm -hmm. And it is one word to describe your future. Oh, one word to describe my future. Um, mm, 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 my future. Uh, wealthy. Ah, yes. I'll take that word too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Awesome. That is that is really awesome. All right. Well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham presents Mateen Stewart. Tell us where we can find you on social media and your upcoming shows and projects. Yeah. Hey, this is Mateen Stewart. You can follow me at Mateen Stewart uh, all across the board. You can check out my link tree. Everything is on my link tree. It's links to everything. I'm at the Hollywood Improv every Sunday. I host a show called Late for Work. Make sure you come out. We're the hottest, newest, freshest, dopest lineups every Sunday at the Hollywood Improv. Uh, also, make sure you follow, subscribe to my OnlyFans. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find there. I'm Mateen Stewart on there. And yeah, look out for my podcast. I can't tell you what it is, but I'm going to post about it. It's about to be really big. So yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, you guys have a great day. Thanks. We, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Mateen got to be the comedic genius that you heard today, just as much as I have. This has been Comedy Wham Presents Mateen Stewart. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Mateen. Oh, thank you, Val. <laughs>